Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, joined with my co-host, Andy Dolich, and our guest today, and Justin Cups, Senior Vice President of North American Wholesale Sales uh, for Under Armour, and really excited to have Justin on today to talk a little bit about his path and his part of the industry. Uh, so, jo- Justin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. I'm, uh, I'm really happy to join you guys. So, as we were... Just chatting, uh, Andy. Andy had mentioned, you know, kind of that high school, college aha moment, you know, as to when you thought you might work in sports or what you wanted to do. Tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are now. Well, it's it's uh, it's an interesting one. I grew up in a really small town in the Midwest. Twelve hundred people in my town. No stoplights. Uh, if you if people have seen Hickory Hoosiers, uh, the team in, in the movie Hoosiers. It was very similar to how I grew up. And so sports was a really, really integral part of my life. And so I knew very early on that uh, I wanted to do something in sports. Um, thought I wanted to reach the highest level at a playing career, specifically in basketball. Uh, realized somewhere along the way that, you know, 6'2 was probably not going to get it done uh, at, the, at the NBA level. And so at one point along the way, really decided that I wanted to coach. Uh, and so that was my goal. That was my aspiration. Um, was fortunate enough to go to the University of Pennsylvania originally to play basketball um, and got into the Wharton School and realized pretty quickly that uh, maybe the coaching path wasn't the direction I wanted to go, but knew I wanted to be in sports. And so really started to combine the idea of sports and business into a sports management major. And uh, that has really sort of taken me post-graduation into a career uh, that has sort of combined sports, my passion for that, into the retail industry. And been very fortunate to spend some time at some really great brands, starting in a brand called And One Basketball many, many years ago uh, in the mid-90s through the mid-2000s. Uh, chance to work at Adidas and then uh, most recently having a, a successful stint at Under Armour. So I would jump in there. Um, have you ever shot uh, a jumper or any other basketball capable shot at the Palestra in Philadelphia? I have. I have. I mean, first of all, it's the cathedral of college basketball. I've been fortunate to, to, to grow up in the Midwest and specifically in Kansas to practice in Allen Fieldhouse. The, you know, beware of the fog there is great, but there's no better place to, to play then the palestra coach Dumphy, uh, I hold in the highest, highest regard, certainly somebody who was instrumental in my career. And, uh, I love to go back there any and every time I can, especially to take my kids and get a chance for them to, uh, to experience it. And, and you, you know, the link, uh, sorry, Jack, you know, the link of Dunphy and American university, correct? I do. Yeah. All right. And I don't know that we've ever spoken about this, but the St. Joseph Steel record in the, this would be 1966, which people are keeping up with, uh, St. Joe's, uh, Lehigh, Villanova, Penn, the big five, and we yeah. won't tangentially talk about that, although that could be a whole show. Um, <laughs> Billy DeAngelis set the St. Joe's Steel record off of me. Um, oh, wow. Uh, we were losing by 24 at the time. The coach felt sorry, put me in off the bench. Within three <laughs> seconds, D'Angelo stole the ball, but I played in the palestra. And I remember my little nephew in South Jersey went, 
Uncle Andy's on TV. Uncle <laughs> Andy's on TV. Yeah, having Billy DeAngelis break the uh, St. Joe's steel record against me. Terrific. That's great. Yeah, there's nothing <laughs> nothing better than big five hoops. And, and Dumphy certainly was a legend uh, in a lot of different ways, for sure. Yeah, nothing Justin, but legends in that building. <laughs> with, with your love for the game of basketball and kind of making that switch early uh, from wanting to try and get into coaching – and then into the retail side, did you ever think that, you know, that quote unquote, uh, if you never, if you're enjoying what you're doing for work, you, you know, you never work a day in your life. Did you ever think that you were getting away from that or were you just switching your passions and, and that still holds true for you? Yeah. You know, it still holds true to me. I mean, I was very fortunate. Uh, my first job out, as I mentioned, uh, was a small startup business called and one basketball and, really led by some guys who I still hold in the highest regard today. And they really had this aspiration early on to become the number one basketball company in the world. And I tell people all the time, you know, uh, I graduated school, had a chance to go start working there uh, and very quickly found out that we got a chance to wear shorts and t-shirts every single day in the office. We played hoops at Haverford college three or four days a week at lunchtime retail space, which, you know, at the time I didn't really know a lot about. Um, and so for me, it's certainly been a different uh, track than the coaching side, but, um, you know, sort of the marriage for me of, of bringing business and brand management, which I've come to, to love just as much as the sports side, uh, and then being able to do it in the sports sector is, uh, has been great. So um, I have a lot of friends uh, who work in the financial business, financial industry, who I think would, would happily trade jobs for me to go to work every single day and get to talk sports as much as I get to. So, Justin, there's ongoing connections. Uh, you just mentioned uh, Haverford, the home of the Black Squirrels, a.k.a. the Fords. <laughs> the Fords, they the changed Fords. their name. This is all true. Uh, the dynamic duo of Karen and Lindsay Dolish were soccer stars at Haverford, coming all the way from the West Coast to the main line. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know that you were shooting hoops um, at Haverford, which is um, a crazy school. Um, and so who knew? Another connection. That's right. That's um, right. So as you were watching the NBA All-Star Game and seeing that it has clearly become this global force of nature without putting you on the spot. They're constantly searching for a better format for the game and everybody is talking. we got to figure out um, the slam dunk or the skills competition. What sort of comes into your mind as you see this as this global sports and entertainment event that literally has billions of people watching all over the world. Yeah. I mean, look, it's, first of all, it was um, probably the best all-star game that I can remember ever watching. Uh, you know, obviously I've watched it many, many years, just from a standpoint of, you know, certainly uh, all the tributes to David Stern and to Kobe up front, I thought were spectacular. Um, but then all the way to the end where, you know, whether it's the NFL or it's the NBA uh, all-star games tend to be sort of that that chance to rest and 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 almost sort of goof around a little bit with your with your buddies and I really enjoyed the game especially the fourth quarter I mean I, I don't know, know too many times where I've seen guys get thrown on the floor and reviewing calls and so I thought that was spectacular and 
And look, I mean, as far as it relates to our business, you know, the NBA, as you just mentioned, is such a global brand and the ability for it to connect with so many different cultures on so many different levels has been pretty unbelievable to watch. Uh, and certainly as a brand on our side, you know, any sort of entity out there that we can take cues from to figure out how do you connect uh, across borders and connect with new consumers and what your brand means uh, in one market where it may mean something different than others. Certainly the goal is to try to be as consistent as possible. But um, I certainly marvel at, you know, growing up and what David Stern did with the league and now what Adam Silver's done with the league is just nothing short of spectacular. So huge fan of the league and, and certainly the same with the NFL also. As you, so, you know, as you've go gone, ahead, Jack. as you've gone on in your career, you know, from, from N one to Adidas to Under Armour and, you know, the different, the nature of the, the retail industry obviously has changed with, you know, tech, with Amazon, et cetera. And, and, and just the, the ever changing um, landscape of society, but, what's maybe some things that have changed in your industry that, you know, the typical sports fan may not know? Well, that's a great question. Um, look, I, I think the biggest thing that's in our industry um, that's the constant is that uh, there is a constant expectation from our consumer that we are innovating uh, rapidly. Um, you know, when you sort, sort of look at, you know, going from being an athlete when I was growing up and when you guys were growing up and, and, you know, you, you had products that, you know, certainly stayed together and, and you know, helped you uh, in your performance. Um, it was sort of expected that, you know, you're going to put on a great pair of shoes, lace them up, and, and they're going to do the basic things you need. And I think today what consumers don't need, don't see is sort of this incessant desire or approach on our side to find ways to really elevate the performance of athletes. And specifically, we do that at Under Armour where we talk about our mission is to make athletes better, make you better. Uh, and we do that with everything we do and everything we create. And so I think consumers are demanding that today. There's an expectation for it as really an entry point that if it's not contributing to a higher performance output, uh, then you can lose that customer to another competitor out there. And, and I sort of drive that correlation to you know, being an athlete in high school, competing at the highest level and trying to find that one edge that's going to allow you to run one second faster, jump five inches higher, you know, or be lift, you know, 10 more reps faster than somebody else. And so I think that's one thing that, you know, a lot of consumers don't see that the product just shows up on the shelves and, and they, they buy it and off they go. But the amount of testing uh, and retesting that goes into our products today to ensure that we can be viewed as the premium brand for high performance athletes out there is, is something that uh, we take very seriously. I, I think about a, a guy named Bill Bowerman, the track coach at Oregon, and a guy named Phil Knight. And, and it's like, yeah, we'll go to this waffle iron. We'll do this thing on our soul. And we'll fast forward a few years, we'll become Nike. I think about a gentleman that you're probably pretty close to, Kevin Plank, in a garage in suburban Maryland going, yeah, I need to do something with a different kind of shirt, and I'm going to compete with Nike. That sounds like a really good idea. That should be pretty simple. Um, <laughs> how do you go from that sort of individual vision that somebody has, especially in Kevin's sake, where Adidas, Converse, Nike already established and and he comes into the market and people say, excuse me, you're going to do what? 
and it actually became true. How does that happen? Yeah, look, I think it's really two things. I think the first thing is, and I've been very fortunate in my career, uh, you know, as, as Jake said, I started at a, a small brand outside of Philadelphia called And One Basketball. Um, the guys who started that business, very similar to Kevin, had this dream uh, through, you know, building T-shirts sort of in the spirit of trash talking. Uh, that we all know exists very, very well in the marketplace uh, of basketball, excuse me, in the basketball uh, sort of lineage. And, and the idea there was that, you know, we're going to go out and build a better product um, that's going to connect with a consumer that may today not feel like they're being spoken to by the NBA. Uh, and then I think on the other side with Kevin, you know, you think about all these great brands that have started out very small and then have grown into a powerhouse a lot of times it starts with the simplicity of just looking to create or solve a problem, you know, create a product or create a solution that solves a problem. And, and that's really what Kevin looked to do. He created the product, RO37, um, you know, compression shirt uh, because he wanted to wear a product that allowed him to perform at a higher level. The basic cotton T-shirts absorbed sweat, were very heavy, didn't allow him and his teammates to really perform at a higher level and, 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 from that, obviously, grew Under Armour. Um, so I think that's one thing, which is really trying to identify uh, something that can solve a problem. I think that's always a great place to start. I think the second thing is it's one thing to create a problem or create a product to solve a problem. The second thing you've got to have is an unbelievable belief that you can go compete and ultimately try to win and unseat some of these you know, champions in the space. And you know, we had to do that every single day at And One. We were building a brand, um, and we do it today at Under Armour, where you're you're constantly trying to put yourself out there to say, "Hey, we believe we can be number one." And you know, you look back at some of the history in our industry, uh, and a lot of people, my generation as well, didn't ever realize that Converse was the dominant basketball brand in the '70s and '80s. And we all grew up with with Nike and Air Jordan and everything else. And and uh, but that did happen. You know, those days of choose your weapon with Magic and Isaiah and Bird, uh, that's what I grew up on. So, you know, you've got a little bit of history there to draw on to believe that it can happen. Obviously, Nike's done a fantastic job of leading the industry for a long, long time, and, and they set the mark pretty high. You, um, I don't know what sort of secret formula you at Underarm under Armour use, but several years ago, you selected some athletes, a guy named Curry, a guy named Spieth, several others. And uh, I know it wasn't magic, but wow. I mean, in terms of that happening and the level of success that those athletes had, and more importantly, the quality of character that they all had, um, uh, whether it was Missy or or Steph, how how did that happen? How does that um, selection process work? Because we see it every day in every kind of commodity. Companies make mistakes. You seem to have nailed it every time. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I'd love to think that we've nailed it every single time, especially at all the places I've been. And, and I think, you know, to me, it's, it's a process where when you're looking to sign athletes or endorsers of any kind, whether they're entertainers, I think the most important thing is to start with 
are their core values aligned with our core values as a business and a brand? Um, you know, when you think about people like Steph or, or Jordan or even Lindsey Vaughn, et cetera, you know, sort of this grit, this determination, this underdog, you know, underrated mentality uh, is sort of what Under Armour is all about. Uh, and, it, and it really oozes from Kevin uh, and the Baltimore roots. And so a lot of that is, is really in the makeup of the athletes that we've signed. And, and then we're very fortunate to, you know, have them hit, you know, as you know, very well, it doesn't happen all the time. There's plenty of those cases where you invest a lot of money into an athlete or uh, an entertainer and, and something happens, somebody gets injured. And, and so I think that's the second part of it, which is you can do all your homework. You can do all your research. Everything can look perfect. You can sign the best deal. And then you got to get a little lucky uh, that they land in the right place. If they're going through the draft on the right team, um, they avoid injury, et cetera. So um, I think there's some science to it. And then there's a little bit of luck that goes with it as, as well. And there, there's one more question there, because living in the Bay Area here with the Warriors, everybody is aware that Steph and Clay, serious injuries, KD moves to another market. But with Steph's injury, how, how does the athlete and the global companies such as yours say, okay, it's an, inju- it's an injury, it's part of what we do, but let's look at what we can do while you're on the shelf to basically grow the concept of who you are and who we are. Yeah, it's a great question. And look, we're obviously living it right now with Steph on the sideline. And, and, uh, and we've got product in the marketplace right now, the Curry 7, which delivered uh, shortly after he was injured. Actually, I think right when he got injured. Uh, and we've seen some challenges. Um, now, I would like to, to say that, you know, it has less to do with, with Steph. And at the end of the day, it's, it's, you know, from our standpoint, wanting to make sure we put a product out there that works. And we've had some success with the shoe despite his injury, which is great. And I think that speaks to the power of our brand and speaks to the power of product that was created. But, you know, I think to your question, it is another good example where consumers today are demanding more than just a great product. They're demanding to feel all things that Steph stands for in that product, all things that he represents in the things that we do as a brand so that it can cross over from just, you know, what he does on the court and what he's all about. And and as you know, living in the Bay Area, he's intimately involved in a lot of different things, uh, a lot of different industries. And and we certainly try to tap into that uh, to try to find another connection point with consumers that really like and value him beyond just, another great, you know, $150, $160 basketball shoe that we're putting out there. And, and honestly, that's what we're trying to do with him. We're looking to expand him into really his own Curry brand within the Under Armour brand to allow him to sort of to expand out and some of those other things that he's uh, really involved in. Well, he's probably got a better opportunity to catch up to Spieth than Spieth does to him in terms of their sports because he's one fanatical, Steph is one fanatical golf person. For sure, 100%. Justin, you know, from a a high-level overview of what goes on on the retail side, for those who are looking to get into the industry that can understand that the retail side can play into licensing, which can play into sponsorships and all of the other different uh, avenues of of really the business side in general, can you give us a little high overview, you know, 50,000 foot view of, of how the organization works. Uh, obviously you're on the sales side, but, but there's gotta be, you know, a person in, in a lot of different departments to, to make the machine go. Right. 
Yeah, there are definitely a lot of people in the, in the process and certainly a lot of them that make us look really, really good on the front line uh, on the sales side. And just to your point, at sort of a 50,000 foot level, you know, one of the things I like to tell people all the time, even my own kids at 13 and 11 and eight, you know, we walk into a store and, and they pick out a product and uh, and they just understand that it's in front of them. Uh, and so, you know, they don't really fully get the process that goes into that finished product on the floor, they're putting on their feet, they're taken to the cash register. And, and what I sort of explained to them and a lot of people who are thinking about joining the retail industry is that process for them purchasing can be anywhere from 18 to 24 months of just uh, concept development of a product and where we think the marketplace may be going, which is obviously the biggest challenge in our industry is to predict you know, 18 to 24 months down the road, what is a consumer going to be looking for from us? in a finished product, whether that be apparel or footwear. And so if you walk that all the way back to all the people that are involved, you know, you start way upstream with concept development, with design briefs and product briefs um, that then feed into a finished design that then feeds into a lot of development process where we're testing fabrics, we're testing molds for footwear um, that just continues to go through. And so you've got design and development teams that are working through that. You've got sourcing teams that are sourcing materials to ensure that we can hit certain costs to deliver a great product to the marketplace. You continue to move that through where we will then start to think about how do we want to market that product? Maybe 12 months out, how do we want to market it? Uh, what's the message? Is it about an athlete or is it about a technology? And how many dollars are we going to put forth to, to, to see that? You'll see a campaign that we have out today called The Only Way is Through, uh, which we're supremely proud of at Under Armour. Now, that is a process that's been in place for 12 to 18 months before it hits the airwaves. Um, we then have a sales meeting where everybody comes together who's been involved in that process um, to present to our sales teams who then go out and sell the product for six to eight weeks, and then it delivers six months later um, to the marketplace. And all of those things have to come together, including, you know, uh, our team shipping the product. You know, it's got to be manufactured overseas. We've been really diligent, uh, thankfully, over the past few years to move a lot of our production out of China. When you think about some of the socioeconomic things that have been happening, and, and certainly most recently with the coronavirus, we've been able to avoid some of that stuff. But there's so many hands in the process, Jake, that that really are involved in delivering that to the end result that, like I said, the best way to think about it is, there's an appreciation for it doesn't just happen in a vacuum and an 18 to 21, 24 month timeline is uh, is a long period before you get to see the, see it all come to life. Well, and in regards to the 18 to 24 months, I mean, there's gotta be some sort of, uh, you know, not to use the term big data, right. But there's gotta be some sort of data behind some of the decisions you guys are making and how you're predicting and um, what goes into that from a technology standpoint. Yeah, I mean, look, in, the, in sort of the era and, and certainly the nod to Silicon Valley area and the Bay specifically is, you know, the whole money ball approach. Um, I think, you know, the industry has changed a lot. I've been in it 22, 23 years. And, you know, we used to talk a lot on the sales side that, you know, 15 or 20 years ago, the strategy was just, you know, get your samples, get in the car, find your way to the account, you know, do your best job selling and then make sure you ship it. Uh, because it was based on, hey, do I like the product or do I not like the product? And today, there's so much data that we're looking to pull into our organization to help influence those decisions. Certainly, there's still the creative process where we we believe it's a product that's going to resonate with the consumer and it's going to be leading the marketplace. But 
you know, what are consumers telling us? We spend an inordinate amount of time on consumer insights, just product testing, uh, focus group testing, uh, wear testing the products to get feedback from real athletes who are wearing the product, bring all that stuff together. We then uh, also through our own dot com and our own stores are able to, to track uh, customer purchases. What are the trends? What are their likes? You know, how are they uh, viewing the product? And so you bring all that stuff together uh, to try to give yourself the best chance to put a product out in the marketplace that's going to hit a home run from a design standpoint, from a pricing standpoint, et cetera. And then I would tell you one step further is that on the sales side, we have really uh, shifted from a, uh, a mode where it's all about the sell in, sell in, sell in to a, an approach of sell out. You know, how are we partnering with our retailers to make sure that we're speaking their language around their metrics, whether it's gross margin, it's sell through targets, it's inventory turn targets, um, and pointing and sort of removing the emotion of, do you like the product or not like the product? We assume you like the product, but if you need that push over the goal line, here's all the consumer insights we have. Here's all the focus test results we have. And then here's how we're going to set you up for success, Mr. and Mrs. Retailer, uh, with why this is going to be a successful product for you. So we're really rooting ourselves in a lot of data every single day before we go to market. And some could say that that's even way more so than, you know, a, a typical sports organization would already have access to, right? I, I think we see some of the teams are on the forefront of, of doing that, whether that's via concessions or, you know, real time uh, data in terms of, you know, um, uh, parking and, and just kind of game day operations. Right. But um, what's, you know, you guys are a public, public company um, traded on the stock exchange. I mean, you guys got to keep up with everyone and anyone, you know, including the Nikes and the Lululemons of the world. Um, what do you, what do you do to try and stay ahead of the curve as opposed to being reactive? I mean, look, it's, it's, that's a challenge every single day. I think whether you're in business, whether you're in sports, whether you're in retail, um, the challenge every single day is to try to, to get out as far in front of our consumers and what they're demanding as we possibly can. And certainly a big part of that is, is trying to think beyond our, our competitors out there. We've obviously got some great ones in the industry. It's healthy for us when everybody is winning, you know, contrary to a lot of people's belief, there's no question we want to be number one and we want to dominate everyone in our space, uh, but the industry as a whole, when everybody's delivering great products to the marketplace, uh, that's a benefit uh, to the industry. So uh, we certainly root for success across the industry. We just root for us to, to be leading that more than anybody else in the space. Um, you know, look, I, I think it comes down to just a lot of things. It's, it's the data that we talked about and the ability to continue to get closer uh, and more informed with our consumers. We talk a lot about looking through the consumer's eyes and how do we do that? Um, certainly there's an expectation you're going to deliver market leading products and market leading innovations. Um, I would also say that the, the game has shifted a lot to finding the emotional currency, if you will, the emotional connection with the consumer. You have so many consumers today that are looking for more than just a great product. As I mentioned earlier, they're looking for a cause that they can buy into. You know, you look at some of the brands back in the day, whether it's a Tom's brand it comes to market with a great product, but more importantly, a great story that people could connect with where if I buy this pair of shoes, you know, they're going to donate one back and that feels good. And so it's whether it's something like that that's cause based or it's something that's that's locally relevant to their culture and where they've grown up in a certain city. Um, 
those are things today where the consumer has really raised the ante for us that, yes, I expect a great product from you, but what are you doing beyond that to really convince me to be, uh, you know, to connect to your brand? No, that's really interesting. And, um, you know, as we wrap up this episode, I want to, I want to switch to a different topic real quick. And Andy, you know, you've worked for quite a few owners. I think you mentioned 10 at one point or, or something close to that. Um, you know, Justin working, working in the sports industry with, especially within the pro sports organizations, right. The eyes are kind of all on you. It's, it's, it's very out there and, and, uh, public, but, but working for a company like yours with such a strong brand and, and being a publicly traded company and reporting to, you know, investors and, and all that sort of stuff. What's, what's kind of that culture like in, in the sense of, you know, the pressure of the quarterly earnings and, and whatnot, as opposed to the pro sports organizations maybe don't face that. Yeah. I mean, look, I would say that, uh, you know, as an opinion of one, and certainly I think, you know, others would, would probably agree, you know, the culture that, that Kevin and now Patrick have created at Under Armour specifically uh, is a culture of athletes and, and athlete minded individuals. And so, you know, to me, when you start with sort of that soft skill set of those individuals who, have grown up in sports and sort of have this, you know, internal drive to be great and this grit and determination to claw through tough situations and, and just find a way, um, you know, it, it's, it's sort of built into your, your DNA. And so, you know, yes, there are pressures to, to report and there are pressures to grow the brand and grow the business, but not that I would think anybody would say are anything different than the pressure we all put on ourselves every single day to continue to compete at the highest level. And whether that was being an athlete playing, you know, a specific sport in high school or college, or it's competing every single day in the business world, um, you know, that approach doesn't really change. And so, you know, you always want to ring the bell and, and have everybody pleased with you and, and how we report and how we grow the business. Um, but, you know, I sort of drive that correlation to, uh, you know, I played a lot of sports and played for a lot of coaches. And I'm pretty sure there were plenty of times where, where they weren't always pleased with how we were, were competing and playing. But um, you continue to go back to the to the practice floor and 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 be focused on doing bigger and better things. And, you know, I think that's the biggest thing I would say about our organization in particular is this this incessant desire to go compete and then to win the game. And, and none of us are going to be satisfied until we're doing that until we're number one in the industry. And then, you know, we'll celebrate for a short period of time and then you get right back to it and, and realize that you got to keep competing and you got to keep driving to, to stay in that position. So, um, you know, for me, it's, it's a direct correlation to, to sports and, and certainly all the things I learned participating in them. Kind of thinks back to, uh, a lot of the guests that we've had on so far, and you know, a lot of them all have different stories. Uh, they're all from different backgrounds, experiences, etc. And when when you ask them the question of uh, what keeps you up at night, you probably get a different answer. So I gotta, as we finish out the episode, I gotta ask you, what keeps you up at night? Wow, uh, what keeps me up at night? I think just again this sort of uh, what I commented before. I think this desire to be great and this desire to win, uh, and whether that was playing sports at a young age, competing in in high school and college, uh, or it's in the it's it's going to a great school, 
um, or it's being in, in an industry that's hyper competitive. And um, for me, what keeps me up at night is continuing to make sure that uh, we're going to deliver on all the things that we say we're going to deliver as a brand. Uh, we're going to be a great company for people to uh, to work for, um, and we're going to put ourselves in the best position to win um, long term. And again, I think you know the keeping us up at night is just the constant trying to in our world keep up with the consumer and how they're changing every single day and what their expectations are from us so um i love the challenge uh i don't sleep that well anyway so for me there's, <laughs> there's plenty of time to be up at night and, and sleep is about, overrated right that's sleep exactly right that's exactly right overrated. there are 24 hours in a day and they still have these days in the week and yeah come on so we'll <laughs> let, we'll let you go because the future of the world of sports rests purely on your shoulders so no big problem. <laughs> well i appreciate it pleasure to join you guys i, I really appreciate the chance to uh to talk uh, a bit about our industry and what we're doing and and uh just really appreciate that chance it's been a pleasure to uh to be on